Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show about people or organizations having a big impact here in North Texas. I'm your host, Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan. And joining us today is Keith Fluellen. Keith Llewellyn is the founder of Llewellyn Cupcakes. And more importantly, Keith, you've got one heck of a backstory. I can't wait for our listeners to get to meet you. How are you doing, Keith? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be speaking with a, a, a legend here in the Dallas area. <laughs> I've just had an interesting job for all these years. I appreciate the props. Well, let's talk about you for a little bit. First of all, Llewellyn Cupcakes you guys are making a name for yourself. This is a small business. Small businesses try to get ahead, and you've been grinding. I just want to know how a guy who basically was living the corporate world life and a real estate broker suddenly became involved in selling cupcakes. Well, it's a very um, unique story, and people always ask me, how did that happen? Yeah. Um um, the way it, it happened was um, some friends of mine um, at our my kids' school, we all went to go to private school, and one of the parents came over uh, one day to drop his son off. He had a passenger in the car, and he said, hey, uh, I came out the house, uh, uh, and he said, hey, this guy uh, owns a cupcake shop in Frisco Square, and I met him, and um, he told him I did real estate, and et cetera. It was a brief uh, conversation, and Next thing you know, he uh, asked my friend, hey, can I get Keith's number, call him, see if he can help me look for some new locations to expand, which was Dimple Cupcakes at the time okay. in Frisco, downtown Dallas. So I got to know the owner, uh, the bakers, um, over like a three, four-month period. I was going around trying to get them new locations uh, for their bakery. Uh, well, it didn't work out. They ended up closing. Um um, but over that time, I got to look at the financials, whether they were vetted or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, the numbers were amazing. Um, you know, I was seeing that the cupcake shops were doing about $60,000 a month per shop. I thought that was impressive, um, um, you know, with me doing real estate. So after they closed, I called um, the, uh, the, the previous owner and asked him to sell me the rights to the name, some of the recipes. Etc. And they and he did. And I reopened the Frisco store uh, by the grace of God because there was no reason um, the owner of the uh, Frisco uh, Square should have let me lease that center. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, our kids happened to be at the same private school, and I had coached girls basketball, so they kind of knew me. But there was no way I qualified to get that lease uh, to, to open that store in Frisco. We reopened. I reopened the store, me and a partner at the time, and we reopened it. But we didn't qualify for that lease. It was basically a half a million dollar guarantee on the lease because you're. It was like a ten year uh, lease, fifteen year option, five year option after that. But they didn't really bet us. Um, they just, you know, went along with it because, hey, Keith, you go to school with my kids and here you are. And that's how that's how it started. I, I bought the store kind of like as a hobby. And then when real estate turned, I realized, hey, um, there's a great opportunity here. I think we have a product that other people don't have. I mean, it's an amazing story. I, again, uh, Fluel and Cupcakes. Your cupcakes are a little bit different. They're bigger. They're better. They're like not a typical cupcake. Otherwise, you wouldn't have a couple of locations right now. Could you talk about how the quality of the cupcake you you know yet you put your name on it? It's got to be good. Well, that's the that's the most important thing for me. I think what triggered me in this business to continue to do the cupcakes. I have an accounting degree uh, from UT Dallas, mm-hmm. so I uh, did real estate broker. What brought me to the business is that I did a birthday uh, party for my daughter from a very popular chain uh, cupcake place, which I'll never talk bad about because they started this whole cupcake craze. Mm-hmm. And the kids didn't eat the cupcakes. And, and there was a beautiful presentation. The boxes were beautiful. Cupcakes were beautiful, but they didn't taste that great. And I said at that time, I said, man, I grew up with better cake than this. So mm-hmm. that's when I went back and start paying more attention to dimples and our quality, the moistness of the cupcakes, switching up recipes, uh, et cetera. And, and it's worked. I mean, the only reason we are still here uh, today and expanding and doing well is because of our cupcakes. It's nothing else. We don't have a big marketing department. We don't have funding to compete with the big chain uh, cupcake shops or uh, these big grocery stores. Everyone's making cupcakes, but this, what, what keeps us uh, vital and so and uh, going is we have a loyal customer base mm-hmm. that expects our size cupcakes, the moistness, the texture. So that's what we try to do. It's different, and we're bigger, and we're better. That's right, and the reputation speaks for itself. Literally, you would have been gone a long time ago had the quality not been there. I mean, it's one thing. You have the bells and whistles and have a marketing department or have, you know, a, a quote unquote angle. But if you don't have the quality, if it don't taste like your grandma made those cupcakes, you wouldn't be in business right now. Right. No, we would have been gone a long time ago. We've been doing this since 2011. And what's funny is we did get a customer um, that did a review and she didn't like the cupcakes and that's okay. I did mean, she get my, a red icing one or something? Cause you know, red <laughs> icing is tricky. No, I mean, it's okay to, I mean, everybody has an opinion, but my thing when I see a review is where the customer service there and quality of the cupcake, what cupcake did you get? You just can't say they're all bad. Mm-hmm. Well, she couldn't, she never said what cupcakes are bad. And I told her, I said, ma'am, we wouldn't be in business this long or even selling cupcakes at the American Airlines Center if our cupcakes were dry, mm-hmm. I said, we pride ourselves on not doing that, but anything can happen. Yeah. But, uh, it makes a difference when, uh, your expectations are, 
the size that we have and the moistness of our cupcakes. It, those are two things you guarantee. You may not like a flavor we make, but it's not going to be dry. If right. It, you know, if everything is done right uh, from the shop. Talking with Keith Flewellen, he is the founder of Flewellen Cupcakes. They are for real. They are legit. And I know that at one point you were thinking this business could create generational wealth for my family and for my kids. So that's that's one of the things in your heart. You you know that these cupcakes are so real and you've got a, a really good business strategy, a good business mind that one day you're thinking what's like sprinkles or Tiff's treats. Yeah, my um, definitely. I look, uh, you know, to sprinkle this. The the they're the bearer of the. I mean, cupcake world. They're mm-hmm. the ones started this whole cupcake craze, mm-hmm. and they still get a lot of orders just based on their name. They're not better than our cupcake. I'll tell that to uh, anyone that sprinkles as well. But I respect them because they started this. But no, the 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 long term goal is to have Blue Ellen cupcakes. Um, throughout, you know, Dallas, Fort Worth area. Um, first, the airport, we're working on that. Uh, we just got uh, the opportunity to provide cupcakes at the Dallas Maverick and the Dallas Stars game. This nice. Year. It's a big deal. It's mm-hmm. a very big deal. We do not take that lightly. And um, we we owe that to the Dallas Mavs, the NBA program, for giving us that opportunity, especially since, I mean, without her saying, hey, make that call, we wouldn't have this opportunity. But we still, yeah, we still have a lot of work to do just because she would like to see us in the arena or the NBA program. That doesn't mean it's been smooth selling uh, with the group that runs the food uh, at the arena, but we're working with them. Mm -hmm. We're there and uh, it's a good start and we're on it to be there. Yeah, that's, that's a great thing. Whenever you're able to open up a shop, you know, in an arena or a stadium, I am AT&T Stadium, or even uh, I always look at uh, Hurtado's Barbecue out there at Globe Life Field. That thing has really been a boom for their business. So yeah. I can I can yeah. just imagine, you know, you get a local business and they get a, a, a shop in a, in a stand where all the fans are. The, the people just love that stuff. Yeah, I look at it like we, you get a call to, uh, to go, to, go to, the, to the league. You get an opportunity yeah. worked out. You've done everything. You have to have your your company in order, your process. You just can't show up and mm-hmm. on the fly. I couldn't have done this ten years ago without the experience that I have from the last uh, twelve years doing this. But we have to be ready um, when we get that call. If you get a call up from the G League to the Mavericks, you better be ready. And right. I, I feel like this opportunity that we have has given us a chance to show what we what we can do. We won't miss an order. Our cupcakes are right. You know, when we, we've done a few orders already for the Dallas Stars. We did the playoff last year. Oh, good. And we just started kicked it. Yeah, we did the playoff. They got in the bind and out of nowhere, they contacted me and asked, could Blue Ellen provide cupcakes for all the suites and the visiting suites for the uh, Vegas night as well, their owner suite. And we did it and it went well. And um, uh, we got our first experience with them, but we have to perform. We can't uh, miss an order or uh, be late with an order, et cetera, because um, you don't get this many opportunities. Exactly. you got to recognize the opportunity. There, uh, Jimmy Johnson used to always say, there's no such thing as luck. That's when preparation meets opportunity. You're prepared for the moment. You recognize the opportunity, and you take advantage of it. And more importantly, you have a reputation. 
And the reputation, yeah. word of mouth, what's, what do they always say about word of mouth? If, if your right. business is great, it's gonna, the reputation is going to help you get through the hard times, right? Yeah, of course, of course. It, it, that's big for, like I said, we wouldn't be in business without our, 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 our core base of uh, supporters that are Blue Ellen fans that followed us from Frisco to downtown Dallas to back to Frisco. Uh, they're always asking. We have fans. Uh, uh, supporters all over the Dallas area, also some out of out of state, that want us to we ship cupcake jars to them now. Ah, um, want us to ship our cupcakes. And, there you go. And, yeah. So it's it's without without the true without that customer base, we would have went out of business a long time ago. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but I saw this documentary a couple of months ago. It came out two years ago, uh, right after the pandemic, and it blew my mind. It's called the Donut King. Are you familiar with that at all? No, no, okay. I'm not. Okay, so this is going to blow your mind because you're a businessman on top of being a, a, a philanthropist. And we're going to get into that in just a minute with what you do with the homeless people at the bridge. But the Donut King, and I, I, if you get a chance, stop down and look at it. I, thought, I think I saw it on Hulu. It's about a Cambodian immigrant who wound up in L.A. because he was getting away from the war in the 70s. And he wound up working at Winchell's Donuts. And he liked the model. And I was talking uh, with a couple of entrepreneurs down here about this movie because it was blowing their mind, too, and I was explaining it to them. He, they called him the Donut King because he decided to open up his own donut shop based on the formula that he learned at Winchell's. Next thing you know, he and anybody, because he was always taking care of Cambodian refugees, they would get, because they didn't know, all they knew about was rice. And so they come to America, he showed them how to make donuts. And then they started opening up all these donut shops everywhere. And they had great donuts. They tasted great. And they had a little pink box. And they started, because it was in L.A., the pink boxes were showing up in movies and TV shows. And next thing you know, they're making all of this money, so much money, they guess what? Even Dunkin' Donuts couldn't get a foothold in California. It's the (laughs) craziest story, but I think... You would love it because you're basically not living his same story, not by any means, but you can, you can appreciate, exactly, but you can appreciate the ups and downs of what he went through. And again, he started making just millions and millions and millions of dollars because down the road, that's what it turned into. And I only bring that up because, like you said, you can see a possibility of, of taking care of your family with generational wealth if it were to turn into a Tiff's Treats or a Sprinkles or a famous Amos Cookies. I can go on and on and on. Yes. The opportunity, I believe, is there um, for any uh, minority owned business or any small business. Mm-hmm. It's about um, getting your hands on capital and being able to grow. I just opened a new store in Frisco because we were there. We closed in 19 right before the pandemic. And I reopened it because we have a fan base here. I live in Frisco and I had to use all my own money to do it, which is about three hundred thousand dollars to open that store and you don't get that money back tomorrow i mean it's doing well it's been open about a month and it's doing well but for me to open up five more stores because we get i get emails every day come to rockwall come to southlake come to uh arlington come to fort worth and we want to open in all those places but Baby that's, steps. That, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot of capital. Yeah, you you gotta you gotta grow it because it's a small business. This isn't like you know 
this isn't like some major corporation can just, you know, Toyota can just show up. You know exactly. what I mean? You, cause again, with your business model, again, because it's a small business, just growing. If somebody calls in sick, is that where you step in or somebody in the family? Of course that I, I just came back from downtown from baking this morning. Wow. Yeah. Some people couldn't come in this morning and the show don't stop. Whether it's the store. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you want to, you know, felt like you're big enough where you don't have to still go to a store and cover. But when some, you know, two people, three, when everyone at the Frisco store, they're all the same type of kid that go the high school kids here. They all go to the same event. They're doing the same thing. So we end up with no one can work on a Friday. I have to go up there, take my laptop and I work and it's, it's okay. It's part of it. I'm not too big to do that, but as a small business owner, you never, you know, for me, I know how to bake. And so I can, I bake all the cupcakes, ice them, put them, I do everything. So I'm able to fill in when I'm needed. That's like I said, this is an amazing story. And you mentioned that you're actually shipping out some cupcakes, you know, people ask for them. You're able to deliver that way, FedEx or UPS or whatever that means you do it. You're able to, you know, make that pivot. So I was going to ask you during the pandemic or after the pandemic, because I know you had to, slow things down and, and shut down the shop for a while. Did you learn some things you could do to overcome ch- tough situations? In other words, did you think outside the box, like even thinking about, oh, maybe I can have a pop-up or maybe we could have a food truck with cupcakes. I mean, I'm just throwing out ideas that maybe you thought about and, and walked through. Well, um, fortunately for me, we didn't close during the pandemic. Oh, good. We didn't close, not one day, maybe one day, maybe. Um, but I obviously people were concerned about coming to work. So at that time, I just I was baking anyway. Mm-hmm. So I baked everything, opened the store when I didn't have employees willing to come in because everyone's afraid. We didn't know what was going on. But the funny thing was people were ordering cupcakes like hotcakes wow. because, you know, the, the food app exploded after the pandemic. Like mm-hmm. no one, you know, cooks anymore. Uh, including our house. We order almost everything off the app. But surprisingly, during the pandemic, I realized then we had a good product that I need to sit down and turn it into a test treat or, you know, sprinkles. Mm-hmm. Because um, I didn't have, I don't, I didn't have the team or the funding to compete against these other companies and do the marketing and get into all these corporate sure. you know, groups, et cetera. Oh, yeah. But thing I had is I had a better cupcake than they did. I have a better treat uh, than Chef Treats cookies. They're they're just better. They're not. I'm not saying it because I'm the owner. Because if Bluebell didn't have uh, the slogan "We eat all we can and sell the rest," we probably would use that because <laughs> our cupcakes they're good. They just yeah. taste good. And 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 even if we close tomorrow, I'm, I'll walk. I, I will still be walking saying this is the best cupcake. On the planet. That's my slogan. That's our slogan. Do but you, I, I believe that I've tried cupcakes when I travel in different cities and they're never better than ours. So for mm-hmm. us, it's just a matter of uh, taking our time um, and getting in front of the right people and grow the company the right way. And uh, we have two locations, uh, American Airlines Center. We're looking, um, you know, doing the paperwork for the airport because I think that's huge to be able to pick the cupcake up on the other side of TSA. Mm-hmm. And take it anywhere in the country or in the world, wherever you're traveling, it's going to be a big deal. 
Oh, yeah, that would be the Grand Slam home run. Uh, we're talking with Keith Llewellyn, Flewellen Cupcakes, and I, I'm assuming, you know, after the pandemic, a lot of people get DoorDash or Uber Eats. I'm sure they do that with you with, with uh, Flewellen Cupcakes, too. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, when most people were, uh, when everything kind of locked down, um, we we were still going. Right? We had deliveries all day uh, from open to close. We shorted, we narrowed the hours down, but we were pretty busy. And that, at that time, like I said, I knew we had something that I could uh, pass on to my kids because I'm at the point where I don't, I, I, um, I could just do real estate or I have investments in some uh, storage units, mm-hmm. apartments, multi-million dollar stuff that I have my little money in it, but it's big, it grows. Sure. I don't have to work. I could just, you know, just kind of, maybe I could just have one store and I'm done, go play golf all day. I do have Maverick season ticket holder, so I go to the game. That'll work. Yeah, you know, I, I could just relax. But what's pushing me to do this is I want to be able to hand this to my kids who mm-hmm. are graduated college or in college. My son's in Oklahoma, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But uh, he's at your <laughs> alma mater. Yeah, um, that'll work. Uh, I'm, yeah, I have grandkids now. I want them to be able to have options when they get older where they go into this business or they take it and it becomes, you'll see a Flewellen cupcake in Miami one day or on the Vegas Strip mm-hmm. or in, on Times Square uh, when they're doing GMA, you walk by yourself, Flewellen cupcake and the people making it. There, there's an unlimited opportunity and I want to give them that opportunity. And once I've gotten it set up, then I'll, then I'll retire. <laughs> you know what? I, I promise you that you're going to find a lot of parallels with the Donut King, that, 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 that documentary with what you just said, because that's what he was doing it for. He was doing it for his family. He wanted to create generational wealth for his family. And then he was also philanthropic by taking care of a lot of refugees. You've been philanthropic because you've got a relationship with the bridge. And for people who are not familiar with the bridge, the bridge is a homeless recovery center individuals without a home in Dallas County and they are open seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Can you, can you talk about how that started and, and some of the things you wind up doing with the bridge? Well, um, being a, a business owner downtown, I picked, I chose my downtown location before it was cool to be downtown. Mm-hmm. I'm on Elman Acker, um, a real estate broker. So I did the research and I was fortunate to get that space where I'm at on Elman Acker. But being in the middle of downtown, it comes with uh, seeing a lot of homelessness um, down there. And we do what we can with them, you know, give them change. You don't want to give them money. Uh, you offer them a pizza that you had or mm-hmm. offer to buy them a sandwich from Jimmy John's next door. Mm-hmm. But um, one night um, after the Maverick game, and my son stopped by the store to drop off something. And a guy came up and he said, um, and, and, you know, I'm from St. Louis. So I know I'm real quick to go, I ain't got it. I ain't got it. I'm pat my, you know, I'm, I'm flat. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he was like, no, 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 no. I don't want nothing. He goes, I, 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 need, I need a shoe. I said, a shoe? He said, yeah, I need a shoe. And it's cold outside. And I looked down. He had like a, a wrap foot from the hospital. And then he didn't have a shoe on the other foot. Uh, and he said he just needed one shoe. I was like, I don't have no shoe. And then I looked at my shoes. I was like, well, I have thin shoes. I said, uh, what size you didn't make? He said, don't matter. You know, I gave him my shoe. Wow. I gave him the shoe. And my son was in the car watching this outside my store. Mm-hmm. And then I, I took I took the shoe off. Then I go, uh, 
you want this? He goes, no. I'm like, what am I going to do with one shoe? <laughs> <laughs> so he took the other shoe in his hand. Mm-hmm. He didn't ask for no money, and he wobbled off. I went in the store, did what I had to do with my socks on, and I came, got in the car, and drove home. And um, I knew then I needed to do a little bit more. There, there's help for homelessness downtown. They're mm-hmm. the ones that don't want to go to the center. Mm-hmm. But um, the bridge is is a, a, a it's it's a beautiful center and it's sad at the same time because um, when you go there and you see the people that they're helping, it, it's great. But you just see so many people that are homeless and that are in need of help. Right. And uh, the good thing is the bridge is an immaculate center. I wish people would Google it, mm-hmm. see it, tour it. I did the tour. Um, I'm getting my employees to volunteer where we pay them their hourly wages while they're over there volunteering. We've written donations to the center um, because they really help people get back on their feet uh, with showers, food, uh, uh, unemployment. They get them housing. Um, it's a one-stop shop. And I think, you know, for us, it's the best place for us to donate. And um, because of the MAPS program, I don't know if you want me to get into that, but because of being in the MAPS MBA program, you mm-hmm. had, I had to look at, what does Fluella mean? You know, because yes, we all want to be, we're chasing tips, treats or sprinkles or whoever. But at the same time, while you're doing that, you need to still uh, have an impact on your community. So that's how we got involved with the bridge is because we're like, hey, the Mavericks got off the court. They do so much in the community. They're reaching out to uh, small business owners. It makes sense that we do the same thing for uh, downtown, try to help with the homelessness. And then also, uh, when it got really hot this summer, and you know, we're used to it being hot in Texas, but it was a little hotter this summer. Uh, what we did was we gave out cold water in front of the store to anybody that wanted. We didn't charge them nothing. Wow. We didn't tell them, get a cupcake later. We just passed out cold water. Mm-hmm. And you would be surprised how many people were so thankful um, just to get a cold bottle of water when it's 110 outside. Oh, it's it's an amazing thing. And again, you know, what's life changing, you, you like I said, generational wealth is one thing. But if you're empathetic with people, if you care, it just means that much more. Am I wrong? You're correct. No, you're you're right. You're 100 percent correct. Um, you you can't um, live in a, in a bu- bubble. Right. Uh, um, and just pretend none of this stuff happens. If Blue Owen only do good by the grace of God. You know, we're not here by, there's nothing magical. I could tell you that I did. I could tell you I have a praying wife, a praying family, and that's the only way I've gotten to this point. And I say, thank you, God, that I'm here because it takes more than just knowing the right recipe or or having the right people sell your cupcakes. You got to have faith and, and also some blessing somewhere to get to this point. And we're not done. We're just getting started, but I am very thankful and grateful to uh, to be where we're at downtown. It's it it was by God's grace we I got that space. It was by God's grace I got the opportunity to be in the Mavs MBA program. It was by grace that I got to I won the the, the pitch competition. You were there. Oh yeah, I won, I won the pitch competition, and um, also it was God's grace that sent said hey. American Airlines Center's give Blue Ellen Cupcakes a call. I've had his cupcakes before I came to work at the Mavericks. We used to get them at AT&T. They were good, you know. So it's good to have testimony from, you know, Scent and other people who 
have had our cupcake are not just saying it because they like me. They don't know me. They know the cupcake. And like I said, without God's grace, none of this stuff would be happening. Oh, yeah. The reputation speaks for itself. We're talking to Keith Llewellyn with Llewellyn Cupcakes. And the sky is basically the limit. What are you looking forward to to happen this fall or the end of the year? You mentioned the possible growth, but are there is there any little thing in particular that people should be aware of that's coming up? Well, the first thing they can do is we're, we've uh, put our cupcakes in a jar. So we're shipping those cupcakes all over the country. We started shipping them uh, because they, they hold up better. They're not in uh, on a UPS truck sweating to death mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. getting tossed around. You know how everything comes all beat up. So we're doing that. If anyone interested in looking at uh, having cupcakes shipped to them, they can find us at fluellencupcakes.com. Um, the biggest thing I would say to be on the lookout for is that we're, we, we started the paperwork and it's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of, uh, ex, you got to cross all your, you have all your papers in order is we've started the process of applying to be at the DFW airport. Um, it takes a while to get there, but we, we officially are on, on uh, doing all everything, uh, filling out all the papers and the requirements and sharing bond uh bond getting bonds mm-hmm. uh, whatever you know ready so when they they're, they're expanding the airport and i think it's going to be a great opportunity for us to be in one of the new terminals or the current terminals uh we want to be a part of that like i said there's not a lot of great treats at the airport i've been through a few uh i think it's going to be phenomenal that you can grab a cupcake that pink box and take it to your you know wherever you're going to meet your family, your friend, your loved ones, your niece, your grandkids, to bring them a Blue Island Cupcake is going to be special. It will be very special. And, again, props to you for sticking with it because it's not, it's not the easiest thing in the world to be an entrepreneur. And I know you can vouch for that and say so, but it is the very difficult thing. Is a lot of twists and turns. The journey is the reward. And so far, so good. Stay the course and good luck in the future, Keith. Man, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Um, it's a blessing to be here with you. I, I've been listening to you uh, for a long, long time. And I do have one thing I want to say before I go. Okay. You got time to get something to eat? <laughs> you got time to get something to drink? You got time to get some gear? <laughs> I appreciate it, Keith. Keith Llewellyn from Llewellyn Cupcakes. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Next up on Better Living, October is Children's Mental Health Month. We continue our Odyssey series, I'm Listening, 
with a conversation led by our teammate David O'Leary and guests from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. David? I'm David O'Leary. Welcome. This is Odyssey's I'm Listening. Talk really can save lives. Odyssey is committed to normalizing the conversations that we have around mental health and suicide prevention. Today's program will be dealing with youth suicide and mental health. If you're struggling, remember, call 988, the toll-free 24-hour suicide prevention lifeline for care and referrals. We're joined today by Dr. Christine Moutier, who is the chief medical officer for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. She has spent many years working to create awareness about mental health and suicide prevention among all different types of population. But we're going to focus on children for our time together. Dr. Moutier, great to see you again. You too, David. This is something that AFSP has been aware of, obviously, for some time. There's been recent data from the CDC, and I'm not even quite sure as of this, as we record this, if it's official data or if it's just sort of headlines that have been released about the data. But certainly there is a mental health crisis among children, among certain segments of the population, but children especially these days. And it's not necessarily just related to the pandemic in the last couple of years. Can you talk a little bit about where we are with children's mental health and suicide among youth? Our U.S. Surgeon General declared youth mental health in a state of emergency, essentially, and that was in the early part of the pandemic. But you're right that the crisis that we're in, and I'm calling it a crisis from a public health standpoint, just because of the prevalence and the level of suffering that is going on and the availability of resources. But he, he declared it a state of emergency while mental health experiences and suicide rates had been going up for a number of years before the pandemic began. But of course, it was then kind of brought to a head with everyone really becoming much more aware, more willing to talk about it with all of the changes going on with schools, with the social structure of how kids grow up and develop, how our brains develop in that stage of life, everything was kind of upended. Mm -hmm. And my own view is that mental health and suicide are very complex aspects of human health. And for children and youth, that's no different. But because they're developing, it can show up in some different ways that I think we as a society There's just a lot of room for putting into action what we're now talking about more and more. We understand that mental health is real. It's as important as physical health. But what does that look like when a child begins to kind of fall off their developmental trajectory in terms of their physical and mental health growth? So that's how I like to look at it with kids is they're on a trajectory of growth and change. And that maybe is what partly what makes it a little more challenging for us as parents and teachers and coaches. From where I sit, you know, it's almost easy to say in the the last couple of years, we've kind of just figured out how to talk about mental health and suicide in adults, you know, as a population in general, forget about the kids. We'll we'll get there. You know, we're we're, we're trying to figure it out with kids, but it does seem like something that has uh, taken us a little while to kind of get right. And we're working on it and we're getting there, but we haven't quite figured it out among youth just yet. Again, where I think we have room for improvement is putting into action true mental health literacy, meaning it's not just this idea, big words and topics, but it's what does it look like in my child or in my classroom? How does that play out and what role do I have to play to not just address mental health problems when they arise, but even create an environment 
where kids are more likely to flourish and where we can actually prevent mm -hmm. the onset of mental health suffering to some degree. Not, not, of course, not completely, but like many aspects of health, there are things we can do to actually make a difference in terms of who becomes at risk for suicide when that happens, are they available to access support and treatment and all of that? Let's talk about this partnership with the American Academy of Pediatrics, this blueprint for youth suicide, which was in development for some time. A couple of years ago, it became formal. Talk a little bit about that, what the idea behind that was, and maybe some of the specific interventions that that calls for. Yeah, it was very exciting for us at the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to have the opportunity to hear from AAP, the, the American Academy of Pediatrics. Their members are pediatricians. So they are a group of, of individuals who are frontline with our youth frontline. every day, but aren't necessarily trained as part of their pediatrics training in mental health or suicide prevention. So AAP listened to their members that there was a dire need they felt from, from the pediatrician's standpoint, as well as the families. There are also, AAP also includes parent uh, and youth voices. And they wanted to really deepen their own toolbox, their sophistication with what they were offering to pediatricians around mental health and suicide prevention. And at AFSP, we were very excited to partner with them to develop, as you mentioned, the blueprint. It's a national blueprint for youth suicide prevention. And I love the way we went about it, even creating that blueprint, which was to include all voices. It was a very inclusive process convening, you know, about 150 groups and families, voices of lived experience, youth workers from all different sectors, from child welfare to the foster system mm -hmm. uh, to athletics, you know, all sides of it. So even though AAP is, you know, obviously a group of pediatricians coming from a clinical, clinically trained standpoint, they understood, as we do at AFSP, that this is a public health matter. And so that means you have to get everyone involved from families to community, faith organizations, schools, as well as the clinics. Mm -hmm. And all of that came together to develop this blueprint that was really drawn out of scientific discoveries that have yet to be put into action at a scalable level. And so that's the beautiful thing about this kind of work is that AAP cares about it, they prioritized it, and now made this available to pediatricians and anyone involved with youth actually. So there is a section that is for clinicians that walks a pediatrician or any uh, health professional who works with youth through the steps to take in their clinic with regard to screening and what to do if a youth screens positive for suicide risk. All of those important clinical steps, safety planning, lethal means counseling, engaging the family, appropriate referrals to mental health, all of that. But then there's another section of the blueprint that focuses on everything outside a clinical setting. So that's in schools, faith organizations, family, home Coaches. settings, yeah, mm -hmm. the whole gamut. And you'd be amazed if you dig in and it, this blueprint lives on the AAP website. And it's like a, it's almost like a, an interactive experience. You really have to kind of click here and there and really to dig into the tips and the guidance. But it's not a pie in the sky sort of set of guidance. It's very much practical steps and how to do it uh, with links to more resources. 
You know, I love to hear you say, to talk about the data, and and I know AFSP, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, to be a data-driven organization. And I guess it's good to hear that there's a data piece to this, going into how these clinicians are, you know, this is how they live their life is is through procedures and data and, and so forth. Is there pushback or have you felt any sort of pushback from the medical community on this? We don't talk about that. That's not what we're here for. We're here for the body rather than the mind. Has there been pushback to that? I think we've gotten past that kind of overt attitude. I'm glad to hear. Um, <laughs> but where I'd say the more understandable pushback is happening is that this is not just on individual pediatricians to put into action. Anytime there's a, a change in you know, making any clinical issue a priority in a health system, there's a whole set of system change that needs to happen, policies and workflows. It's a team sport, uh, medicine is. So I think the barrier at this point in terms of really scaling this more widely is just that system change takes a very intentional investment of time and effort to bring a team to learn and to bring all the learnings back to their health system to put the changes into place. But I also think we don't need to, like there is that level that's really important, system change. But there's also the thing that every one of us, including a pediatrician in their office, can do that doesn't necessarily take more time, but it takes just paying attention Mm -hmm. and the engagement of being present in the moment and recognizing that the person in the room with me is suffering in some way and opening up that dialogue. So, you know, we talk about that a lot, as you well know, David, and you do such an amazing job of it as well, to just recognize that there's a way for all of us to be more present, more authentic, to take the risk in a way to talk about our own stuff, which signals to other people that it's safe. It's okay. It's normal to struggle. In fact, it's a sign of strength. If you're able to separate in a way your ego and any aspects that are very natural and understandable, like feeling shame, ashamed, those are human instincts. But the more we learn about mental health, the more we can kind of separate that out and realize if it were a physical health issue, it would be the smartest thing to address it in the most proactive way. And so we're learning how to do that with our mental health as well. I've long held that uh, our youth, you know, they're going to save us all, but they've, they've long been much more able and open in a, in a free and open and honest way to talk about so many things that perhaps my generation, whatever that means to you as you're listening, but have trouble with. And so I think that's a re- real plus. In just the short time we have left, can you maybe talk quickly about some of those interventions or how to have that conversation if you're listening with your youth or a youth that you interact with in a safe and healthful way? How do you open up the conversation if you're concerned? I think the first thing to start with is don't wait for the concern or the crisis to be you know, presenting itself. In our everyday lives, we can make little shifts whether it's having dinner together or when you're driving in the car with your family members, take the time to get out of the business of the day and the rush rush and take the conversation to a bit of a deeper level. Your kids will do it actually all the time, but we don't always recognize that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, when they start talking about what's going on in their friend group or what an incident that happened out on the field, Those are the things to tune into. They're letting you into their real internal experiences with their peer group. 
And so anyway, I think there's some tips to that, that even for me as a parent and as an expert, I've tripped up and (laughs) jumped into advice giving mode or like this should have happened. And then of course that shuts down the conversation. So the whole goal is active listening in those moments. And again, just creating that environment that feels safe and okay for people to share what's actually going on. We tried to raise our kids in the most non-judgmental environment around human suffering and mental health distress. And yet Mm -hmm. human instincts are so strong and they pick it up elsewhere too. But even in the home, we're not perfect. So just remember, you, you really do have to go out of your way to tell your child or your loved one that their well-being and they as a human being are the priority. Mm -hmm. Anything they're going through is understandable. There won't be judgment for it. We all face challenges, but we're a family and we're going to get through this. Anything they're going through together, but then to really open up some space for them to talk about what's going on. And you have to do that with kind of open-ended questions. Or again, just if they're talking about whatever random thing, let that be a wide open thing. And Realize you don't have to bring it to closure with a plan in that one conversation. I think we're so wired as problem solvers, and that can be a disservice. What we're trying to do in this process, in this moment, is signal to our child, or again, another family member, that we are able to handle them talking about their distress without jumping into a reaction mode. And that that really takes some practice Mm -hmm. to do. I think the other thing to note is that if someone's tone of voice sounds like they are extremely stressed, overwhelmed, feeling like their circumstances has them feeling trapped or like they feel like they're a burden to others, those are all signs that there's a reasonable likelihood that they're also having thoughts of ending their life. And it is okay. It is a good thing to ask directly about that and to open up conversation so that they can share and realize that it's not necessarily a 911 emergency if someone is having suicidal thoughts. In fact, there's a very, very good likelihood that they've been living with those thoughts on and off and that sharing them is this important first step in what can be an ongoing process of having their situation addressed. And whenever there's suicidal thoughts present, I think that's an indication that a health professional should then be brought into the picture at some point in time, whether it's a pediatrician or a mental health professional. We should note if you're listening and are struggling or know someone who is struggling, 988 is the number to call anytime, day or night, 365 days a year to get care and to be connected to help. You can find out more about youth suicide and mental health in general at AFSP.org. Dr. Christine Moutier, the Chief Medical Officer of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, thank you so much for all you do and, and thanks for being with us for Odysseys on Listening. Thank you, David. And again, thank you so much for making this a priority. It's on the minds of so many people, so many families and kids. This is Odyssey's I'm Listening. Talk saves lives. 
This is the mantra of Odyssey's mental health initiative, I'm Listening. Our goal is to have more mental health conversations and to continue to remind you that it's okay to not be okay. Additionally, it's okay to talk about it and to ask for or seek help. October is National Children's Mental Health Month, and we've been joined by our partners at the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention as we explore the many ways in which we can reach out to our kids and make sure they are being seen, being heard, and reminding them they are not alone. Additionally, if you or someone you know needs help now or may be in crisis, please call or text 988. This is the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, and they are available 24 hours a day to talk with you and connect you to help immediately. Now, here's David O'Leary for this I'm Listening special conversation on children. This is Odyssey's I'm Listening. We're so glad that you're tuned in. Uh, I'm David O'Leary from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. We're focusing for this program on mental health and suicide prevention among youth. And we're joined by Victor Armstrong, who's the Vice President for Health Equity and, and Engagement for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Victor has for many years worked to uh, raise awareness about mental health and suicide prevention, particularly among demographics and historically underserved populations. And we're thrilled to uh, to talk to him. Hey, Vic, nice to see you. Hey, Good to see you too. And and don't sell yourself short. I know you are a huge advocate in this space as well. So it's a pleasure to talk to you. Well, it's important work. And uh, I, I love that more and more folks are paying attention these days and really thrilled that Odyssey is making the time available to kind of spread the word about the importance of mental health. There's been recent data from the, the CDC. We talked about it with uh, Dr. Christine Moutier a little earlier in the, in the program about mental health and suicidal behaviors among youth and the news the recent news is unfortunately not not good. Can you talk a little bit about where we are with that and, and the attention being paid these days to mental health awareness for our youth? Yeah, there were uh, uh, several alarming facts, I think, that came out of the most recent data. One, we found that the suicide rate increased 8% for young people between the ages of 15 and 24, and that suicide remains the second leading cause of death for 10 to 34-year-olds in the United mm. States. So that, that alone was alarming. We also, though, have seen a disproportionate increase in black and brown communities. Mm -hmm. um, so we're really trying to target attention on those communities because in large part, our efforts uh, historically have not really focused on the nuances of race and culture and ethnicity. There's a campaign known as Seize the Awkward that has been underway for a couple of years. Basically, it is a partnership, a campaign of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and the Jed Foundation in collaboration with the Ad Council and Droga 5. And it basically was put out there to kind of get youth talking a little bit more about mental health and suicide by sort of embracing that awkward moment that, you know, we all have, which sometimes can be awkward having that conversation. There is a spectacular new collaboration and partnership with uh, Megan The Stallion, who is speaking about her own mental health journey and, and working with Seize the Awkward. Talk a little bit about the, the partnership, how it came about and, and what you hope to accomplish with it. Yeah, we are extremely excited about this partnership. First of all, you know, to our uh, longtime partners, Jed Foundation and uh, the Ad Council, uh, we're always happy to be teaming with them. But this this partnership now involving uh, Megan The Stallion really has given us additional reach because Megan has lo loaned her talents to us on, on a pro bono basis to support a Seize Awkward's campaign to really reach a, a younger audience. And, and Megan is someone who's 
known for keeping it real. She has a reputation for uh, being very honest, both in her lyrics and in talking about her own challenges, mental health challenges. So we're excited to have this partnership. Let's listen to a little bit of it here. This is Megan the Stallion urging you to check in on your friends with CZ Awkward. I've always been told I got to be strong. Thick skinned, stiff upper lip, tough as nails. But to be everything for everybody, it wears on you. Black don't crack, they say, but it can. I can, we all can. Y'all, it's okay to not be okay. Reach out to a friend if you see them going through it. No matter who you are, being vulnerable is what makes us whole. Learn how to help at seizetheaqua.org. Yeah, Megan the Stallion. I think that's just such an important message for anybody to hear, but especially youth. You, you had noted some of the CDC data that, that notes that uh, black and brown youth have elevated risk for suicide. Can you talk a little bit about why that may be and what this campaign hopes to do to, to change that? So in all honesty, we don't entirely know why the rates in black and brown communities are increasing. What we do know, though, is that we have not historically talked about suicide in black and brown communities. And when we have, we've really talked about it in the context of it being something that didn't impact our communities. And uh, in Megan the Stallion's promo, she talks about her own personal experiences with, with mental health. And she, she uses a phrase uh, that they say, black don't crack, but it can. And that resonates with black and brown communities because that's one of the things that uh, we've always talked to our young people about. You're supposed to be resilient and that you, you, it's almost like telling them you don't have the right to experience depression or anxiety. But we recognize that anyone can struggle with mental health challenges. And we also know that the experiences of racism and discrimination and cultural stigma can also impact the mental health and uh, well-being of Hispanic and Latina youth as well as black youth. So mm. there are those additional challenges into the, in, in addition to the things that we all face every day. Yeah. I think it's an important conversation for any population to have youth, adult, you know, people of color, not people of color. But it is great to know that we're recognizing that that we've come up short a little bit in the, in the past in terms of serving these populations with mental health and suicide prevention information and that we're trying to do more to reach out to those populations now. Talk about how we talk about mental health and suicide. You've been in this quite a while. It's different now than it was even five or 10 years ago. Yeah. We still have work to do, but we've come a long way. Yeah, we have come a long way. It's still a conversation that we're, um, as a, a nation, we're becoming more comfortable in, in talking about the conversation or talking about suicide prevention and awareness. But it's something that historically we have not been comfortable talking about. So part of what we try to do with this campaign, as with other campaigns, is to really normalize that conversation. That's part of the reason that we partner with someone like Megan the Stag. It's also the reason that we're utilizing he- uh, social media very heavily because we also realize that we need to meet uh, people where they are. And with this campaign, as we're targeting an audience of 15 to 24 year olds, we know that they're heavy users of uh, social media. And so part of what we're trying to do in normalizing the conversation is also normalizing the spaces where we can have these conversations. And then also utilizing uh, spokespersons that uh, people can identify with. It's, It's important that people see themselves in the message and making the stallion gives us an opportunity to provide that. 
Boy, I think that's such an important point, Victor. The the idea of meeting people kind of where they are, you know, when when we're having these really deep and and sometimes hard to have conversations. I also think I've sort of long believed that our youth are much better at having some of these conversations for a lot of different reasons than the old guard, you know, then, then maybe the, the next generation or the generation after that. And so, I, you know, maybe there's an advantage there in that they're just more, much more opening in speaking about mental health, LGBTQ issues and a, and a host of other things than perhaps some of the older folks aren't. Yeah, I think there's truth in that. I think I think our younger generation is much more open to having these conversations. I think what we're also trying to do, though, as we normalize the conversation is also not paint a doom and gloom picture. We're not trying to send the message that the world is this really, really negative place. But we are what we are trying to help educate people about is that we all have challenges. We all have struggles. That doesn't make us flawed. It doesn't make us broken. It just makes us human. Mm. And the more we as humans can create this connection, the more likely we are to be able to increase hope uh, and save lives. Yeah. I know one of the watchwords that AFSP had frequently puts out there is that there is hope, that you are not alone, and that it it is okay to, to not be okay to sort of normalize this conversation about our mental health the same way we talk about our physical health. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's also important that we share the message that suicide does not discriminate. Suicide is not a problem that only pertains to one community. Or, or one segment of the population. Suicide is something that we all need to be aware of. It's something that we all need to pay attention to. When I was growing up, it, it was a belief in the black community and in, in the Latino community that we were not impacted by suicide. The data itself shows us now that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Even more scary, I think, is the data shows us that we're trending younger now in terms of suicidality. For someone listening who is concerned about someone, maybe a parent, maybe a coach, a faith leader, a school teacher, how, how do you begin that conversation? How, how does that conversation start when you when you want to reach out to someone who you may be concerned about? Yeah, I think the, the thing that I always try to stress to people is that you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a clinician to be concerned or to establish connection. Uh, if you're concerned about someone uh, you just want to start the conversation. You just want to, if you're concerned that someone is thinking about killing themselves, we advise that you say very clearly, very calmly, very confidently. And you can say something like other people who have gone through what you're going through have considered suicide. Are you thinking about killing yourself? You can simply ask someone, do you want to talk? You know, I see that I see changes in your behavior. Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to talk about what's going on? And I think the thing that we often fear is that if we ask someone if they're thinking about suicide, we're going to offend them or that we're going to drive them to suicide if they weren't already considering it. And what research shows is that, first of all, when you ask someone in a caring way, if they're thinking about killing themselves, someone who may be suicidal feels that sense of connection. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes offers them space to begin to open up and talk about what they're going through. But the other thing is that you don't make someone suicidal by asking them if they're thinking about suicide. People are either suicidal or they're not. So you're not going to make them suicidal, but you may save their life by giving them space to open up and talk about 
about the feelings. We, we have just a, a short time left. I should note, if you are struggling or caring for someone who is 988 is the number, dial that number and then you will be connected to help. Again, whether that's you that's struggling or whether that's someone that you're caring for and, and worried about, you know, we're talking about mental health awareness in youth. Is there an age that is, uh, that's too young? I think oftentimes some, sometimes that's the pushback. Geez, I don't want to bring that up to my kids. It's, you know, they're too young to know about things like that. Disabuse me of that notion. If, if that's the case. Yeah. You know, and I know a lot of parents struggle with that. One of the things that I'll tell you, I just shared this statistic with the group I was speaking with recently, and that is when you look at suicide rates in the black community, suicide rates for children, 5 to 11 for black kids are mm-hmm. twice as high as suicide rates for white children. So there are very young children that consider suicide. Now, do they always understand exactly what it means when they talk about suicide? Perhaps not. But what I encourage parents to do is to keep very open lines of communication, to allow children to talk about and express whatever they're feeling, listen non-judgmentally. And if you get the sense that you're a young person, no matter how old they are, are thinking about suicide, don't be afraid to ask them. But you can also ask them, what does that mean to them? Mm-hmm. And then give them space to open up and talk about it. Uh, but I would not assume that because a child is younger that uh, they would not consider suicide. Victor Armstrong is the Vice President for Health Equity and Engagement for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. You can find out more about youth suicide and mental health in general at AFSP.org. Vic, great to see you. Safe travels. Thank you so much for being on the program and speaking with us. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. I'm David O'Leary. We're glad you're with us. This is Odyssey's I'm Listening. Our immense thanks to Victor Armstrong, Vice President of Health, Equity, and Engagement with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, for joining us for this vital conversation about our kids' mental health. You can find great resources at AFSP.org. That's AFSP.org. In addition, there are resources available at I'mListening.org. And please remember, if you or someone you know is struggling and may be in crisis, please call or text 988 That's the short code for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. There are people there 24 hours a day to talk with you and connect you with help immediately. You are not alone, and it's okay to not be okay. Thank you for joining us for this vital special, and we wish you better mental health. Again, October is Children's Mental Health Awareness Month. We all should be aware and try to take care of each other. Allow people to speak up. That can change lives. And thank you again for joining us on Better Living, a show about people or organizations having a big impact here in North Texas. I'm your host, Chris Arnold. So long, everybody. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.